Thank you all for joining NeuroNoodle's Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology podcast featuring our neuropsychologists, Dr. Laura Janssens and Dr. Skip Wren. They've been practicing for over 50 years and are happy to share their knowledge with you. You can find Dr. Laura at Janssens.com. That's J-A-N-S-O-N-S.com. And Dr. Skip can be found at DrSkipRin.com. That's DrSkipHRIN.com. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the word out. My name is Pete, and today we're going to chat about primitive reflexes. Dr. Skip, Dr. Laura, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm listening for the first time. Why do I care? What's primitive reflexes? Basically, when you're in utero, so we're talking about, you know, mom's pregnant, what may or may not be realized is that when a baby is in utero, they're you know, their brain's developing at a million miles an hour and uh, they have a role in their birth. Clearly it's not a conscious role, you know, if you're talking about pre, you know, pre-birth, um, but it's a reflexive role. Uh, they have, you know, the, the mother pushes when the, when the baby's getting ready to, to be born, the mother pushes and has a role in the birthing process, of course, but the baby also has a role. And the baby's role is, is pretty significant in terms of getting itself born. I mean, that's how I, I'll say it to parents is uh, there, there's a fancy somersault uh, that a baby has to, to do to kind of turn around in the womb uh, and have their head facing out. And they, they have to do, you know, so it's a reflex. It, it happens uh, automatically. A baby's primed for that, you know, genetically. And just being a baby, that's, that's what all babies have is, is this instinct. So you have prenatal instincts to get yourself born, do this somersault. And the other thing I'll say is while you're in utero, you're, you know, so many things are developing in the, the way I say it to parents is this is where your GPS system develops. It's, it's where you learn or you get, get a sense for north, south, east, west, up, down, left, right, kind of, your, they call it the proprioception, your, the distance between your joints and gravity, your joints in the ground and your joints in north. So you're, I'm talking about your literal joints, like your elbows and your shoulders. And, and so your, your body gets primed for knowing where, where they are in space, essentially. So you have these prenatal reflexes that get you born or, you know, help, help yourself out. And then you have postnatal uh, reflexes as well. So you know, every baby eventually crawls and it, that's a reflex. You reflex for your legs to move in a certain way. Um, even before you crawl, you have reflexes to um, have your hands on the floor and push your butt up, sit up, you know, this kind of stuff. So well, they're standing and that's probably the standing reflex, but yeah, there's, there's a sitting reflex, a rollover reflex that prevents you from suffocating bed or mattress, whatever. Um, so yes, yeah, so you have this rollover and the crawl and the scooch and the um, getting ready to stand. And all of these things are, are reflexes that, you know, all, all babies are wired with. So, you know, we call those primitive reflexes because they, they just happen and they're going to happen automatically, you know, most, most healthy babies. We, we talked last week with the um, chiropractor, pediatric chiropractor, we talked about traumatic births and we see a lot of these traumatic births, you know, there's, there's a good uh, chance or there's these risk factors. If you have one of these traumatic births where you might have, for example, a nuchal cord, which just means your uh, 
the umbilical cords wrapped around the neck at birth, even if it's for a few seconds, you know, there's so much developing uh, development at that point that um, it may cause some effects down the road in the development. And so we're going to call that a traumatic birth because it could, you know, there's a risk factor there. Um, other things, uh, traumatic births are if there's a breech presentation where your feet first. And so that's kind of a sign that the baby didn't get it, like didn't get the um, somersault and help yourself out kind of thing. And they're coming out feet first. And so we know when that happens and there, there's another kind of developmental sequelae, you know, uh, order of things that they get missed out on. So if you're coming out uh, feet first, um, you know, you could have uh, your, your north and south uh, messed up. And I'm just talking just kind of general terms there just to, to have it understood that um, uh, if your feet first, you don't, don't get it. And just kind of make a long story short that, you know, that's executive functioning at a very primitive level. You got to find your way out the door um, and it's one of the first things you got to do. And if you're doing it feet first instead of head first, well, they can have a lot of implications. And so what I mean by that, uh, I, I did have a, a one guy I saw a long time ago and um, he was, uh, I can't recall if he was breach or actually it wasn't a breach presentation. It was, he was, he, he didn't, it took a long time to birth and he was in life he was very slow going and kind of reminds me of the drunken bull that uh, Dr. Tony talked about last week, that he just couldn't get going, couldn't get started, couldn't get moving in life, couldn't start his projects, couldn't uh, complete things. And, it, you know, as we kind of wound backwards, we see it a lot that you go down to the birth, uh, you know, day one of executive functioning and he, he couldn't get out the door. The reason I'm telling you about this guy is that, um, he had three accidents where he pushed, well, drove his car through his own garage door. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And so, and, you know, maybe I'm stretching things, but it is pretty compelling that you can wind all this back, you know, again, poor starting, poor going, poor birthing, um, and then driving your car through, you know, not knowing pro proprioception, kind of knowing where you are in your garage, not knowing where you are, you know, not being alert, aware of the garage doors closed, et cetera. Well, um, but, yeah, right. And so, um, you know, it could have, you know, something to do with it. But, but that's kind of the point that if, if you have a traumatic birth, and your your reflexes aren't uh, primed, and we can talk about that in a sec, um, then yeah, you can ha have these kind of um, spatial issues. When you have spatial issues, uh, you know, that, that can put you at risk for anxiety, because we have uh, also like fear reflexes, right? Fear of falling, for example, fear of gravity, these anti-gravity reflexes. And if you're not judging your space properly, you think you're closer to the ground than you are, or you know something like that, or you're going to bump into something, and you don't bump into something, or you do bump into something, you're not judging things properly, then you're setting off all these anxiety reflexes. So, you know, our, our visual spatial system, you know, is developing in utero, et cetera. And then when you're, you know, postnatally, you know, down the road, it can translate in some of these visual spatial executive deficits. And, and we see them all the time. And the interesting thing, you know, again, many of our uh, patients are coming in with, boy, do I have anxiety? I'm sorry, do I have uh, autism or do I have uh, ADHD? Those are the big things. What, what is often uh, maybe misunderstood is kind of this garden variety ADHD is, you know, someone who does have uh, some of these birth trauma issues that turn into developmental things. 
And the point is that you can have reflexes that are not um, integrated. So meaning after you're born, you don't need the birthing reflex. After you learn to crawl and, and learn to move around as an infant, um, those, those in, uh, reflexes will say go away or they get integrated in, into the human system. But if they're not integrated for whatever reason, sometimes this happens with a C-section birth. And I uh, did a whole presentation on, on C-section births and, and how these um, reflexes still kind of hang out and they don't get uh, integrated because uh, through the birth canal, that, that's where a lot of these reflexes, the prenatal reflexes um, get integrated. So if you don't go through the birth canal, you're not prime, your reflexes aren't primed to uh, integrate. Many outcomes come from having your reflex retained. The thing, you know, when we start talking about attention is that uh, when your uh, reflexes are retained, um, you, you need a lot of conscious effort to control yourself. So last week, Skip brought up the, what Dr. Koziel, you know, talked about in class once that there, there's a young guy who, um, his uh, arms uh, move together instead of alternated. Um, so when he'd turn one arm, then the other arm would swing around with him. And so in order, you know, he was getting in trouble in, 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 in line in school and stuff like that. So but if he wanted to uh, not do that, he had to consciously, you know, think about what his arms were doing. And that's not something that we have to do. Our arms work automatically, but if you have these uh, retain the reflexes that are still hanging around, um, you have to consciously stop those things from happening. So it kind of diminishes your attentional resources. You've got to think about moving your arms when other people don't have to do that. They have a lot more bandwidth, more attention space, uh, because they don't have to think about moving their arms or, or a good example of this also is um, in writing that if uh, your primitive reflexes somehow affect your writing and there's all sorts of ways that can happen. But uh, if you have crappy handwriting, bad handwriting, and it's because of the, this reflex issue, um, birth trauma issue, you know, kids would have to spend a lot of time watching their hand and controlling their hand movements and their writing. And they're so busy controlling their hand and accurate writing or drawing that they miss what's going on around them. So they're gonna appear inattentive because they need, need to divide their uh, resources between controlling their, their motor movements and um, being aware of what's happening around them. But yeah, lots of things going on. And I guess that's the nutshell, cause, you know, when I talk to parents and there, there's many things that can contribute to uh, primitive reflexes being retained. And if I can think of the nuchal cord, the um, umbilical cord around the neck, the breech presentation, hemorrhaging, um, low, low amniotic fluid. There you go. Jump in there, Skip. Yeah. The list goes on and on and on. And yeah. the, the point is that things happen. It's not anybody's fault. It's that things happen and it kind of messes up the process. And you see somebody at age 10 for ADHD and it's like, well, there's just more to it than, hey, it's these symptoms and the kid has trouble sitting still. Um, you know, we, we should maybe rename this um, show Bashing the DSM and Medications but I'm not trying to, you know what I mean? But it's, it's just the system that we all live in medically. And it's like, all right, well, the kids, you know, has trouble sitting still. So let's, you know, get after that and do something to, you know, slow down that motor functioning when there's just more to it, right? It's, it's, it's something that probably started prenatally, certainly could have, right? So the parents bring in the kids and they, they get a brain map done. Uh, what's going to show on the uh, QEG? 
to support. Yeah, yeah. so we're, we're talking about a lot of stuff. So there, there's a sensory motor strip from ear, if you take a, a think about a New Year's Eve, uh, one of those caps that they're just a, a metal strip that goes from, or a headband, I'm wearing one, headband yeah. from ear to ear. And that's the sensory motor strip. So you're going to have uh, possible uh, dysregulation across that place. And the other place we talk about a lot is the cerebellum. You're going to have this possible dysregulation in the cerebellum. Uh, cerebellum is, uh, you know, super fragile during development. So any, you know, degree off the, the track uh, can, you know, set the cerebellum uh, to be um, uh, dysregulated. The, the other thing, and we're going to use a couple more technical terms here, but so cerebellum is super fragile, but also um, the basal ganglia and all that means is, is the uh, behavior gating system. And it um, has to do with being able to, to stop extra movements, right? So if you have extra movements from these reflexes um, and your basal ganglia isn't doing the right thing, and there's a system involved there, but you're having trouble filtering and controlling and um, executing your behaviors. And, and that's the part of the brain uh, implicated with ADHD also. So in, in that does go, it's kind of the central right in the top of the head, but it's uh, kind of right above the um, sensory motor strip on top. So you're going to definitely see some, some issues uh, in both of those places. I, I agree with you for sure, right? On yeah. sensory motor cortex and then cerebellum too. With what we see with just to call it attention uh, or, or ADHD or even anxiety and depression mm -hmm. is you often see an under-functioning in the frontal lobes, yeah, right? Right, front, yeah. right? Yeah, right front, yeah. So as, as you were talking about when someone just has to work harder at, you know, uh, ideally unconscious processes right? You turn your head and you don't smack somebody with your hand, right? We're not supposed to have to think about that. That's just supposed to evolve that way. So if you have to take your conscious energy, effort, whatever, to say, hey, if I swing my arms one more time and hit somebody, I'm going to get detention, then you're just not as available for other things, as you stated, right? So I guess what I'm getting at is, is it possible with anxieties and depressions that they're a result of just kind of this lack of attention or lack of what wherewithal ability to be present. And so those skills might not get as developed. I know that's a pretty wide net question, but do you get where I'm going? Yeah, with no, I, I think, I think Len Koziel is screaming at us from uh, beyond uh, <laughs> about the, this, the uh, loop, right? It's a loop, right? So yeah. frontal striatal thalamic loop yeah. that uh, you have a basal ganglia, which, which is a, the, the uh, dopamine system that helps you stop unwanted behaviors uh, at the thalamic level. Um, but there's a conscious uh, loop in there. And so, yeah, it absolutely goes through the frontal lobe. So on the right-hand side to, you know, wrap Pete's question in there too, the, the front right is about controlling uh, behaviors and the front left generally is, is controlling your, your thoughts and your, your talk. Um, but also controlling your emotions. So uh, in essence, everything, <laughs> every, everything can be, uh, can show up on the map. You know, sometimes it's just a question of what's, what's the, the, the hottest fire in the computers able to kind of give us that kind of data. To go back to your original question, Pete, and what's, you know, what do we want parents folks to know about this or just be aware of? And my spiel, when, when I'm talking with folks and it's, you know, I mean, it's not a spiel, but it is. It is the idea that, hey, there's a lot going on 
unconsciously that drives what we do in, in the world day to day, minute by minute and all that. Meaning, and this is something else Len kind of beat into us was, you know, whatever the number is, 95, 99% of what we do is controlled unconsciously. Our consciousness interprets all of this stuff. And so we think it's maybe more prominent, meaning our consciousness, but again, 95% of this stuff is done. It's the tip of the iceberg, right? That's our consciousness. And so what that allows for is to free us up to just respond to our environment. But when it doesn't happen, like you got to concentrate on not swinging your arms when you turn your head, again, it just eats up energy and time and space for doing or responding to what's around you. And that has all kinds of implications, right? Mm -hmm. But more so just to get this concept across. And it's a funny one. It's hard to understand. It's almost like trying to comprehend neurofeedback, like how the hell does this stuff work? And the answer is, well, it just does. Like your brain knows how to do it. And, you know, after a couple of sessions, people kind of get it. Um, but initially it's weird. And it's like the idea that I think um, most of what we do is controlled unconsciously. And it's just, we're, we're, we're not taught that, but that doesn't mean it's not true. And I think what it can allow for, and just maybe understanding that is, hey, there's more going on to my kids' behaviors than X, Y, Z, or, hey, I'm, I got three other kids and I'm tired and I got stuff to do and I need to do this, that, and the other thing. And I asked this kid 10 times not to do something, but he keeps doing it. So clearly he's not just listening to me. And uh, again, all I'm trying to allow for when I have this conversation with parents is, you know, one out of five times, maybe just remember, hey, some of this stuff might be unconsciously driven. Maybe sometimes it's a 10-year-old that doesn't want to do what you want him to do. That's certainly a possibility. And you guys, parents, get to figure that one out. That's the hard part. But that there's probably unconscious dysfunction that's contributing to what you're seeing. And as long as that's allowed to be part of the conclusion about what's going on, it just seems like it allows for more reasonable responses at times, which are just better for everybody. I'm not judging. I'm saying, hey, if you are allowed to consider other things, then someone's not listening to me because they're being willful. You know, that's going to set you up for coming down harder or doing whatever. And it, again, we're just trying to allow for maybe a broader understanding. You certainly don't have to memorize all these terms we're saying. We're just saying a lot of it comes from unconscious functioning and then habit. Yeah, it kind of shifts the the onus of these symptoms around. And, you know, if, if the parent thinks the kid's doing it, quote, on purpose, um, then, yeah, that's going to build a bad dynamic. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, if the parent thinks that they're doing a bad job, like, oh, it's because of me, I'm a bad parent, or I'm not yelling at him, long, you know, I talked to him softly, I, I rewarded him, I did all the good things, and, and they're still not, you know, behaving, so to speak, um, then the parents are going to end up blaming themselves. And so, you know, we want to take on, I remember this quote from somewhere, take on the most irrational guilt then admit we're powerless, right? That some of these things we just cannot control and because there's a physiological base. It, it's based in you know, the physical development and the, the brain structures that, you know, the, the way things unfolded were, you know, a little off, off center and, and therefore we're going to get some of these symptoms. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's always this good news that there's things that can be done about it. And uh, I had someone, yet, you know, yesterday, a little seven-year-old guy, and uh, the mom was telling me the story and it sounded like all, all of this stuff, like there, there's some birth trauma and uh, he had torticollis and which is a, uh, your, your uh, head is kind of leaning to one, one uh, 
side and you kind of stuck there as an infant. And so the baby looks like they're, you know, with their head on their shoulder and uh, it's a pretty significant condition. And, and again, you know, during all, all this early developmental phase, you're, you're developing your, your, your vision, you're developing your, your uh, proprioception, your, your, um, where you are in space. Um, and, you know, if you think about left, right, you know, once you're standing and walking, uh, you know, your left, right coordination is super, uh, you know, necessary. So not just, you know, walking, running, all of, all of those important things, um, but also having your eyes move properly left and right. So when you're, you know, it's reading, right? So you, you got to read. Uh, and, and if your eyes are not, you know, or your head doesn't move, uh, and they're not moving properly, or there's all, all sorts of other conditions involving your eyes and, you know, the more visual spatial stuff, it affects, you know, long, long-term learning. So, um, you know, at some point, you know, again, we're, we're trying to relieve parents of any inappropriate, well, I'll use the word guilt, or blame and, you know, just to help the relationship with the child. Um, but then, you know, jump in and say, okay, yeah, there's pills, you know, you can throw pills at them. Uh, and again, yeah, that, that was probably a little too strong, but I mean, you can give, try to give them pills, but you know, when they're not, maybe they will work, but it, if they don't work, then it's, it's really kind of considering these other things that physiologically you want to make some corrections. So with a little seven-year-old guy yesterday, the first person I uh, referred them to was uh, Dr. Tony Ebel. We got a pediatric chiropractor now to refer to, and um, yeah, it can work on the neck and shoulders. And, and um, you know, I wonder what that's going to do for him in terms of improving his attention and, and all the other physical development issues. So there, there are things as far as that can, can work. And then, um, you know, we're going to put neurofeedback in there also, you know, if they have a healthy brain rhythm, then, you know, what's naturally going to unfold developmentally may have a better chance if, if we have a nice, healthy brain rhythm. So it's kind of going after the right basket uh, rather than, um, you know, just kind of looking for the quote, quick fix or, or, you know, ho hoping that, um, you know, medicines are, are going to do something. A lot of these uh, reflex um, things, you know, occupational therapists are, are very aware of, chiropractors are aware of. Um, it's just not uh, a common knowledge in this country. You go to Europe, and it's common knowledge. They're on top of all this stuff. They're on top of neurofeedback. They're on top, top of occupational therapy. They're, they're not, you know, so limited in, in uh, their, their beliefs or knowledge base. And it just hasn't got here yet. And, you know, just, you know, philosophically, you know, what is that about? We just haven't developed to that place yet, maybe. Or karma. Or karma. That, that's, oh, that's, that's big what karma. Big oh, karma. Big pharma. Oh, I thought you said karma. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> I thought that pharma. was an opening for the big pharma conspiracy. Big pharma. <laughs> yeah, conspiracy no. is right. No. That's right. So anyway, I, I can keep going, but well, you you jump in there, Skip. Well, I'm I'm kind of thinking uh, the similarly with you, uh, and I am thinking about big pharma and, and why don't we know these things? And there's reasons, you know. And and I'm not trying. I promise, I'm not trying to go down a conspiratorial road. But there are reasons why we know things because things are established and there's a discourse about how things are talked about and thought about. And that's been around before you and I started going to school a hundred years ago. You know, these things are in, in place. And so that's why different regions think differently and do differently. Right. That's, that's the philosophy. But anyway, I'm, I'm with you in that there, there are effective dysfunctions, right. And we can call them things like ADHD. And, and we kind of know what that means because it's a collection of behavioral observations or, or symptoms, right. You know, difficulty sitting still difficulty paying attention to things and all, all kind of whatever they are, you know, the, the 10 or 12 things 
that we know when we see them. And it's what contributes to it, again, I think, is how we were trained. And so, you know, Western medicine does look at symptoms. It's like, hey, it's this thing. Let's deal with this thing. And, and you and I and, and a bunch of other people, too, just, you know, trained to what what is the etiology? What's the beginning? What's what's leading to this happening as opposed to, you know, what do we do about this thing? And so, for example, with eye movement and vision in particular, but not necessarily your prescription, more about maybe how ocular muscles work and are you able to track, you know, words on a page or do your eyes bounce around and, and then therefore you're missing words or, you know, there's a big enough gap to where you're just kind of losing attention of something like that is effectively going to change your ability to read, right? And then also potentially lead to what we call ADHD because now a kid knows that it's hard to read. And because he's a human being, we tend to move towards what we do well naturally. And then we kind of avoid stuff that's hard because that's how it, it works, right? We get better payoff when we do stuff we're good at. And so, you know, it's hard to read and you're in class and you're looking out the window because I don't like reading and I don't know why, but I'm not as good at it as the girl or guy sitting next to me. And so just a, a kind of a long, a long route to say things like vision therapy can be incredibly effective. So can neurofeedback because it's training, you know, the brain's training itself to, to do that better, but you can directly tr train uh, those muscles, right? The eye muscles to just focus better. And we've had a few kids running through our office that ended up getting that as a recommendation for what was ADHD and difficulty in school, learning disorders, et cetera. And I'm not saying it was a magic pill, but we also got reports back from parents like, hey, wow, different kid. The teachers are telling us this kid actually likes doing his homework and going to school now. So that's, that's one of the things I wanted to mention. But also we're talking about this idea of where we're headed with all of this, meaning you know, where we're at currently. I think our first show that we did together was about COVID stuff. And, and effects or ripples of COVID, which you know everybody's talking about it from different points of view, but we're talking about it obviously from the mental health point of view. And I'm pretty directed in what I read about work because of what I do, but almost everything that I'm reading that talks about the effects or the impact is, hey, we're only focusing on the medical or the physical of this because it makes sense. You know, people are sick and they're, you know, having to go to the hospital, et cetera. But what are the long-term mental health impacts or effects of this? And we've had people on our show that have said, hey, need for special ed, need for mental health interventions is already here, but it's going to increase to where we're probably not ready for it, not to be an alarmist, more so just to say programs in schools are probably going to be integrated, speaking of integrated and retained, right? But they're going to be implemented and integrated because they're going to be so necessary. And so what are we talking about, right? We're referring to all these reflexes and all these effects that they have. If they don't do what they're supposed to, what do we do? And there are things you can do. There's folks that know about it. Dr. Tony knows about it. Um, OTPT folks know about it. There's folks that specifically work with the integration of reflexes, right? They're looking at developmental delays as integration or retention of reflexes, right? Either it happened or it didn't all the way into adulthood, like you were saying, right? Mm -hmm. And there's, they, they do physical exercises that help with the integration. 
that's more of uh, not Dr. Tony, but other folks that are, you know, kind of teaching folks exercises. I'm not trying to minimize one or the other. It's just a different way of approaching it. And folks, yeah, they, excuse me, Skip, they, they may have, yeah, uh, kids or grow, you know, older folks um, get on their hands and knees and crawl, you know, or yeah. stand on yeah. the balance beam and learn, learn the balance. Uh, uh, I know some of the older patients who've been to occupational therapy, you know, had, had people stand on a chair because that's the kind of stuff, you know, you want to get up in the ceiling and change a light bulb or something. Yeah. Yeah. And your reflexes are, are you know, acting up, then, uh, yeah, help, help you learn to balance and do, do certain things like that. There's something called the starfish. And so you sit in a chair, just like you would, and you collapse down on your knees and, and you know, kind of hug yourself, right? And then, you know, like pull your legs together and, <laughs> and then you rise up from your waist and open your arms and your legs, right? So you're looking like a starfish. And that's one of the exercises and it looks and sounds and feels ridiculous, but it gets after these primitive reflexes that have likely been retained. And it's just a way of training the brain and the central nervous system to kind of get this thing like it's supposed to. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, this is out of our area of expertise for sure, yeah. but we're aware of it. Yeah. I don't know how you guys do your recommendations. Hey, but hey our, our, and sorry to the, kind of go a little bit off track here. Um, do you remember, uh, uh, Len talking about the W sitting? Yes. The W style, yeah. uh -huh. right? Okay. Yeah. So, um, it, and you know, the bottom line to that, it has, you know, much to do with these reflexes that we're talking, you know, if you have yeah. a, a young child and they sit with their, you know, feet out to the sides, you know, knees forward, uh, you know, basically sitting on their heels, but the heels are, are stretched out where there's a W um, and that could have a lot to do with this uh, re reflex issue and other things, kind of joint irregularities, et cetera. Um, but I, what just popped into my head, I was sitting at a stoplight the other day, and you know those hoverboards with the two wheels, electronic uh, hoverboards? Yeah. 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 So I saw a little kid and his mom, they're crossing the street, and the little guy was on the hoverboard sitting W style crossing the street. Yeah. <laughs> And that kid's, we'll see him down the road. Right. So the W, isn't that having to, something to do with left, right? Pro, what's the word? Pro, 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 proception, that word. Yeah. That proprioception, word. yeah. Thank you, thank you. And There's so, yeah, that. I got to wonder how his, yeah, how his <laughs> GPS system is developing sitting W style on a hoverboard crossing a busy street. <laughs> and and this looks, so you're on it, but they also can show up looking like posture issues. and. Right. You know, kids that sit kind of hunched over at their desk with their legs wrapped around the leg of the chair and everything. Yeah. That that's representative of what we're bringing up here. Right. That's, right. It, you know, not that everybody sits that way. Like, Oh, you got a problem. You got to go to OT, but if there's other issues. Right. And so I went, I went to the doc with my mom yesterday and she went to see a neurologist. And one of the things other than looking at MRIs and all that stuff, is he said, all right, get up and uh, walk, up, walk up and down the hallway, right? And what's he doing, right? So he looked at the MRI. So he's looking at, you know, the, the best technology that we have here to see a picture of her brain. But then why is he asking her to walk up and down the hallway, right? He's trying to see how she moves in space because that has implications for how all this stuff's working. Even at whatever she is, 150, right? However old, right? It still matters is the point. And, you know, she's in a walker, but he can still do what he needs to do. Well, and, and that's a great point because you have 
reflexes that help you get born, that's always how I say it, they creep back out when you're older. And so that's, you know, when you're older, that's when you're, you're you know, if you had posture issues as an infant or young, you know, toddler, whatever, then those posture issues uh, show back up when you're older. And um, so you can have all sorts of these, yeah, reflexes kind of come, come back out. Um, and, and so, yeah, they kind of stay with you throughout development. And, and uh, so, yeah, it's kind of compelling that, that you said that. And, and yeah, I know like my mother-in-law, for example, yeah, she, she walks with a, a pretty um, significant hunch in her back and, and yeah, I get it. And I don't want to ask her, but, you know, uh, but I wonder about, you know, younger development and how, how that translates into, you know, her posture right now. On, on that same note, uh, it doesn't have to just be when you're young and when you're old, right. uh, it can be, you have an accident, right? We see people all the time that have had accidents, TBI, et cetera. Folks that work from this orientation will say that's an opportunity for these reflexes to reemerge. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it's because of brain injury and they just need to, you know, relearn to integrate them, right? And then that's what that treatment is about. Just to give a shout out, and it's something that we know about through Len, unless you knew about it before then, but you were speaking of, you know, Europe and other regions kind of being hip to this stuff more so than we are. There's a fantastic book, and I'm sure Pete will be happy for me to offer a service and put this in the, the notes, you know, a link to it, but it's called Attention, Balance, and Coordination, the ABC of Learning Success, and it's by Sally Goddard Blythe, B-L-Y-T-H-E, if folks just want to go straight there. And it's an older book, but it outlines everything Laura and I are talking about um, better. Yeah, yeah uh, getting her on the show. Yeah, right. And fantastic book. It's been updated. There's a couple new versions of it, but it's, man, it's just eye-opening to have this orientation and perspective. And I don't know for you, Laura, um, how many parents you talk to, particularly moms, that, you know, you're kind of getting into details with her about, you know, pregnancy and birth as well as, you know, the first six months and all that. And if the kid's 15, it's like, uh, I don't remember. Or if she has five kids, it's like, um, yeah, right. Good luck. But mostly what folks do remember is when there's issues. Like if there was a problem, and I think that's part of the way our brains are built too. Uh, we remember those kind of things. If there was some, some trauma that happened during pregnancy, moms almost always remember, right? It's when things go normal and they're like, ah, man, you know, my kids were all fine. But that's why we ask all these questions. Hey, was there any issues with pregnancy? Was there was it an incredibly stressful pregnancy? There's more and more coming out these days that is kind of letting us know that that has effects. And we always suspected it did. How can it not, right? You know, you're sharing your, your, your body and, you know, you're, you're the wound for something that's developing. How can what's happening for you not impact that? And I'm thinking of adrenaline and cortisol and all that, right? How can that not affect the development of the nervous system? But Anyway, more so this idea that that's why we're always hunting for these questions because we've got a kid sitting in our office and I don't think I'm going to speak for you for a second, but I don't think we're all right with just Adderall as the answer. Um, and, and again, it's probably chicken or the egg, but that's how we were trained, but we might be open to that kind of training for whatever reason. But there's other things leading to this that just allow for other interventions. Right. doesn't mean Adderall wouldn't help. It means that, hey, there might be other ways to get after this that could be longer term, longer lasting. You stop taking Adderall, it stops working. Right. You do some of this integration therapy. It doesn't stop working. It's supposed to perpetuate. Right. And we're behavioral mod folks. Right. We didn't get trained in medicine. We got trained in 
behavioral modification. And it takes a little time, but it lasts, right? That's kind of the basis for our, our schooling. Yeah, so it's interesting. These things got put in the bucket of psychology rather than medicine. Yeah. Right? So, okay, we have these uh, behavior issues. So we'll go see a psychologist. And that makes tons of sense, kind of. It's almost like they got relegated to that, that side of the street. And, you know, the, you know, the pediatricians, you know, you talk to a pediatrician, right? You know, hear, hear from the parents. Well, yeah, if they landed on their feet, they're fine, right? If they're breathing at birth, they're, they're okay. But yeah, never mind that, yeah, there was, there was a, a cord wrapped around the neck or they came out backwards and upside down, all sorts of stuff. And uh, well, yeah, they're breathing, their eyes are open, they'll, they'll be fine, you know, so they kind of are, are missing out on, you know, educating, you know, some of these things. And, and I'm sure there, there's plenty, uh, not being fair, but I'm sure there's plenty of um, pediatricians who, you know, can, can be hip on this, but more times than not, you know, people will say, well, yeah, they were a little later walking, but uh, the pediatrician said they'll be fine. Well, it's more complicated than that. You need a deeper assessment to determine whether, yeah, is the walking normal in, in that, you know, short phase of crawling, you know, you don't spend tons of time in the phase of crawling, that, that's where you further um, develop your GPS system and your reflexes, retain, the, uh, I'm sorry, uh, integrate the reflexes during crawling. And if you go straight from crawling to walking without spending too much time in that phase, you know, I'm sure you hear the same thing too, Skip, you know, you ask the parents about how, how is the crawling? How is their crawling? And they'll say, oh, they, they got up and, and ran. They were, they were great. They were early. They're out of it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. They say they were early and they're, they're thinking of that as a positive thing. Whereas we, we you know, kind of, uh, are a little concerned because you, you want to spend tons of time in crawling and get all the effects of that important developmental have an impact on the executive functioning and all, all the other things that were in the attention and all the other um, uh, the other things. I just had a, a flashback last week when we were joking around with Tony about being at parties and everybody thinking, oh, you're, you know, uh, analyzing me and all that stuff. And given all these questions we ask and probably the way we look when people say, oh, my kid, you know, went straight from laying there to running. And we're like, oh, that's not so good. It's like, no wonder nobody wants to talk to us at parties. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Hey, how you doing? Everybody's like, fine. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Trying to sit up okay. straight. Yeah. So, so, Doc, so we're getting towards the last quarter of the show and I just want to out a couple things for the moms and dads. So if you had a traumatic birth, if you have a spatial problem, ADHD, I know we hate using these terms, but if you have all these things, you do the brain map to confirm, you have them walk up and down the hallway, whatever. What, what are the trainings or treatments that you would do? How long will it take to correct it? Will it correct it? Quote unquote, fix it. I know you love that term. The folks, you know, the folks that are doing this integration therapy and maybe focusing on specific reflexes, right, at the, at the end point of it, right? So they're seeing these behaviors and then they're kind of reverse engineering their way back and say, okay, this is related to this. And, you know, for perhaps it's uh, ASTA, what, ATNR, or there's the STNR, there's a whole bunch of them, right? And so maybe it's related to that particular reflex. And so they do these trainings, like we're talking about, like the starfish and and some of these other physical movements, I, I would leave it up to them to answer how long, but, you know, months, probably not years, uh, depending. And then maybe there's a refresher if things are, you know, improving or not, I would say. And then there's the whole world of OTPT, 
which I know they, they include other things than what we're talking about now, but they would be able to speak to that better. Um, and then Tony's got his way of doing it. We have our way, which is kind of working on how the brain understands things and then you know, sends out its prime directives right to the rest of the body. So again, I think it depends. Uh, maybe we could get some more OTPT folks on here to talk about these particular things. And I don't want to say it's an easy fix. And I don't mean it that way. It's just, again, it's an alternate approach to addressing things that's kind of working with architecture, right? Like if a stuff's not moving right, it's going to have effects and impacts. And, you know, it's just not as simple as in, in my mind as here, take this and everything's cool. Um, it might impact the symptoms to where they're alleviated, but it's still not getting at what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think, where we kind of take the long-term approach and long doesn't have to mean years, right? To at least try to address your question, Pete, right? Some of the stuff. Can well, happen. I mean, is, is it a cerebellum thing, Dr. Laura? I mean, what, well, I, I, know again, you need, it, I know you need more information, but. Yeah, it's whatever structure was impacted by the the birth issue. So I was thinking uh, Dr. Tony last week was saying he kind of surpasses all all of this uh, a little bit that he doesn't uh, dwell too much on the reflexes. He kind of leaps over this issue and gets, if, if I understood what he was saying, he, he more talks about the um, the nervous system and he talks about how do you, you know, impact the nervous system with his adjustments and get, getting at the, the spinal cord and, and things like that. Cause you make adjustments that, well, the, the young guy I had yesterday with the torticollis, the, the neck issue that, uh, yeah, absolutely. When you get after, you know, you, you do some adjustments in the neck, that's going to impact everything we're talking about. But, but the, the net out is that, they're going to have uh, less trouble with their nervous system, less trouble with uh, emotional acting out and, and uh, decision-making and all, all the other executive things that, that come out of that. Uh, Michael Jordan. Yeah. With overflow. Yeah. It's, it's, explain that one, Skip. All right. So there's a, there's a couple of things that can, can represent what we're talking about. And, and we were taught the terms and correct me if I, if I misremembered, but there's, there's, overflow and then there's motor motor dysregulation right there's there's um the the difficulty with i'll I'll talk about overflow so overflow simply is automatic physical or or motoric actions that occur along with another motor action that aren't necessary for the completion of that action so what are we talking about we're talking about sticking your tongue out while you color we're talking about Michael Jordan sticking his tongue out on just about every shot he ever took. He doesn't need that to do what he needs to do with that basketball, just like you don't need to do it to color. Where the breakdown is, is that somehow in your motor cortex, it's linking those motor actions together when they don't need to be for just efficiency. And again, ideally, it's all about efficiency as far as physiological functioning for conservation of resources and all kinds of stuff. But anyway, we do all these extra things like that kid that swings his arm uh, to turn his head. You don't need your arm flying up in the air to turn your head and you don't need your tongue to either shoot a basket or color, but they happen. And so when we see those things, literally when we see them in our office, it, it, it lets us know, hey, something's up with this guy's motor cortex and it's probably not chunking or setting things or, or allowing things to kind of work procedurally efficiently. And if we know that, 
then it lets us go down to all kinds of rabbit trails, right? We can talk about how that would impact math acuity, right? Because math is basically a procedural task. And while the brain does have areas that focus on math versus shooting a basket, for example, motor sequencing is motor sequencing. And so if there's a, a, a difficulty with it, it's gonna show up in math, just like it would show up in coloring with your tongue out. So that's overflow. What about mirroring? Oh, mirroring, oh, okay. Yeah, so that's where I was trying to go, but if I don't use the right words, how the hell would you know, right? So mirroring is doing with your offhand or off limb even, what you're doing with your dominant hand or your one hand. So if you're, for example, doing, um, there's a good fingertip touching test task, whatever, and you're touching your fingertips. And so if kids are doing that and they're, and, and the direction is, Hey, you know, put your hand up on your elbow or put your arm up on your elbow, put your other hand flat on the table. And if you're doing this finger touch, you know, you touch your forefinger to your thumb and then your middle finger, ring finger, pinky, and then you go back and you do it a few different ways. If the other hand is doing the same thing, that's mirroring, right? And that means that there's a difficulty unhooking your left, right system, right? I don't need to be doing that with my left. And this is a developmental thing, right? Like two, three-year-olds are going to stink at it just because, but a 10, 12, 13-year-old should be pretty good at it. A 13-year-old should have it down pat. 10-year-old, we'll see, depends on what else is going on. The, again, working backwards implications is, hey, if this guy's having trouble on a motoric, unconscious functioning level, separating and keeping things distinct, like, you know, geez, we need five more shows to talk about the implications of that behaviorally, right? That means you're going to have trouble with left, right. It means you're going to have trouble with the integration of left, right. It, and it's going to apply to all kinds of things, reading comes to mind because you got to keep things separate, right? You got to look over here and then what are you doing over here? Is that distracting to you? So again, there's just lots of ways that this can play out that are so far beyond what we see, right? We look and we see some kid that's foot's moving and we're like, ah, oh, he's got ADHD. And then, then, you know, that's, here's how we fix that. So you're decoupling, you know, go back to Michael Jordan. If, yeah. And I'm going to bring my puppy in here again, because he's teaching me all sorts of stuff about uh, evolution here. He's mouthing uh, and sometimes nipping, but mouthing. So he goes from nipping to mouthing to licking. And in the YouTube videos, as I'm learning all about uh, dog psychology, um, that's how they touch, right? That's how they reach out. That's how they, they uh, sense things that are going on is through their mouth. And so when you talk about Michael Jordan, you know, if the reflex is to touch with your tongue and you're going to reach for the basket, the, the tongue movement and the arm movement are kind of one and the same, but they're not unhooked, right? So yeah, uh, yeah cause super, super interesting things. And so, yeah, if you're left and your right are still moving together, um, yeah, if you move your, your head and your arm goes with, with it, then yeah, your, your neck and your shoulders should un, unhook, uncouple when, when you go to stand. And, and so, yeah, you can, Len would always say, or I would say, say to some patients, you know, I can look out the window at the parking lot at the families walking in, you know, if I know the, the one kid is my patient, you, you're, you do a huge assessment, you know, just walking into the building. Yeah. Are their arms moving uh, separately? Is there, you know, if they turn their head, is, is their, their body, you know, uh, operating independently, you know, are, are, you know, are they shuffling, are they running, are they toe walking, are they, 
um, you know, having any kind of difficulty motorically. And, and if they do, you know, you have a good chance that once they come into the office to actually do the testing, that you're going to see these kind of issues with, with the executive functioning and, and, you know, how many times out of 10, you know, you see this kind of presentation in the, the parking lot coming into your office. And then, you know, mom says, you know, what's the referral question? Does my son have ADHD? Well, it's complicated, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I've got a, a quick story. I know where we're at time-wise. There, there are no quick stories, but go ahead, Skip. All right, thank you. So the, <laughs> had a kid that I was seeing, young guy too, maybe six or seven, and off the charts, attentional issues for sure, what led to it, a whole bunch of things, right? But it was creating family dynamic problems, right? Like there, you know, it, was, it was a remarriage thing and just there was a couple kids that came on, you know, the Brady Bunch deal or whatever. And so it just created because the guy was always getting and doing something that just created turmoil. He was a sweet kid and actually pretty funny. Parents came in consultation. We talked about all this good stuff and what it means and, Hey, that's great. But how do we just get them to do something for five minutes while we attend to the other, you know, five kids. And then say, oh, I don't know, keep your fingers crossed kind of thing. We talked about some interventions for sure. Right. And they actually did do neurofeedback all that to say, so we're getting, you know, wrapping up and they're leaving and they got bunch of people and they came in a couple of different cars and all this good stuff and the kid in question was out in the parking lot and he was holding some things while his stepdad was like putting the baby in the carrier and then there was a sister that was a little bit younger than him that was just kind of sort of holding on you know like parking lot situation mom was backing out with a couple other kids kind of thing and as I walked by I was trying to keep you know like my distance but as I walked by the kid sees me again we'd gotten on pretty well we met three or four times and he's like, hey, Skip. And he goes to wave and he drops all the shit that he was holding on his sister. She got mad. She hit him. The dad says, what are you doing? The baby starts crying. I just got in my car and left because there's nothing I could do to help. Good but, job, Dr. Skip. Yeah, right. But at, in that moment, you can just see like, hey, this is how this stuff plays out. And not that I disbelieve the parents for two seconds, but here's this kid that just is like unable to differentiate between, hey, I still got to hold on to this stuff while I turn my head and look and say hi to somebody, right? Like my, my day leading up to this moment doesn't just go away. That's awesome. You probably got a couple extra sessions coming your way from that one. <laughs> All right, guys, great job. That's our primitive reflex. reflexes. I, I've got a slide share. Uh, sorry, no, I don't know what kind of editing you have to do with this, but I have a slide share. If you Google slide share and Janssen's, uh, I'm put, I'll put a link to it on. Yeah, put a link to that. It's a C-section yeah. births and it goes into uh, possible effects of C-section births and how, how they uh, impact the reflexes or lack of re you know, uh, retaining um, and integrating reflexes. Check it out in the slide share. Got it. Cool. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. The Neuro Noodle Neurofeedback episode on primitive reflexes. Dr. Laura can be found at jansons.com, J-A-N-S-O-N-S.com. Dr. Skip can be found at drskiprin.com. It's drskiprin.com. If you have an idea for a topic, show, or guest, please email me, Pete, at neuronoodle.com. And please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Smash that like button on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. Hue the non-copyrighted music. Yeah. Huh.